You're listening to Legal Work, a bi-weekly podcast offering legal advice to students recorded from the production room of 88.1 WKNC on the campus of North Carolina State University. My name is Colleen Keenan-Ferguson, and I'm the podcast manager of WKNC. Legal Work, this podcast, is my effort to help educate young adults like myself who may be misinformed about how the law works in specific cases and under specific circumstances. This week's episode is all about parties. I live in a tiny apartment complex off campus with two roommates, and whenever we throw a party, it always ends with a visit from the Raleigh Five-O. To break this vicious cycle, I talked to the director of University Student Legal Services, Pam Gerace, about the best way to throw a party. So what are some good tips to prevent having the police called to a party you're throwing? Okay, there's, there's a, a couple things that you could try to do uh, to try to cut back on what might happen. Well, I will say this, if you're in an apartment complex, if you're in a two to four bedroom apartment, having 20 to 40 people in a two to four bedroom apartment is really going to be too many people in an apartment complex situation. It may not seem like a lot. I mean, we have had with a lot more. We've had students come in for a lot mm-hmm. more than that. But any judge is going to say that's not reasonable in that size of apartment. So you're going to have to kind of limit the number of people you have. You always want to talk to your neighbors. The problem is that's fine and dandy. You talk to your neighbors, and they're okay because they're probably students. But the apartment complexes aren't in a vacuum. They're still mm-hmm. surrounded by neighborhoods. And so you may not have any of your immediate neighbors complaining, but if the sound carries, then you know somebody that's through the, on the other side of the woods mm-hmm. could call in a complaint. And even though you checked with your neighbors and you tell the police you checked with your neighbors, it doesn't mean somebody's not gonna complain. So you do go ahead and still at least try to check with your neighbors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had clients, and, and I think it's a good idea to actually maybe you know give your name, telephone number, or whatever to the neighbors and say, if it starts getting too loud, call me. And, you know, and hope that that's what happens so that that's not a problem. The other thing you wanna do You want to be careful about advertising it on social media. When you advertise it on social media, people you don't know come. And a lot of the problems we see are when friends of friends of friends or somebody just on the street comes bopping in and you don't know who they are and they start causing problems. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of issues where students are giving a party and they can't get rid of a troublemaker. They can't get rid of somebody that's fighting or that comes drunk. and if you have a closed party, or at least try to have somebody at the door that's kind of monitoring who's coming mm-hmm. and going, or just kind of limit at least you know, who might be coming in, you might have a quieter party or one that's less, less disturbing. Because once you start calling, and I've had clients where they start calling the police to try to get rid of a troublemaker, mm-hmm. and they open themselves up to having some issues if, if the police do come. You do not want any amplified sound at all period. So you're not really going to have live bands. Clients that have a live band in their basement, and yes, they have problems, so you need to be very careful about that. You want to be very careful about alcohol at your party. You actually want to probably have it just bring your own bottle, because if you are the host and you're supplying the alcohol, you're going to have a whole lot of other problems other than the police. If you supply alcohol and anyone goes out and does damage, especially in a car, you as the host will be equally liable, call that host liability. If you supplied the alcohol, you could have a problem if you supplied the alcohol and you gave it to somebody underage, that's mm-hmm. aiding and betting. 
If they have alcohol poisoning, that could be a problem. You want to make sure that when the party's done, that there's not trash on the lawn because that's what's going to tick off the neighbors. What usually attracts the police besides the noise are the number of people. So those are the two key things. If you can keep those things down, you want to contain the party to inside, anything outside's plain view, and then you are very much asking for a police presence if people are wandering on alcohol and it's in plain view. What does the law in Raleigh say regarding noise violations? We have North Carolina general statutes that um, will actually give all the individual cities the right to come up with their own noise regulations. And in Raleigh, we happen to have something that's called the Raleigh City Code. Otherwise, we call it the RCC. Uh, under the Raleigh City Code, we have noise violations that are actually called unlawful noise, which is unreasonable, loud, annoying, frightening, disturbing noises, but then they also have something called unnecessary noise, which is excessively loud or unusually loud or disturbs the peace and quiet and, and those kind of things. The bottom line is the uh, usual standard is, is it disturbing uh, to a reasonable person of ordinary sensibilities? That's exactly, exactly what it says. And so that sounds very subjective, which it is. There are objective ways to figure out whether it's a noise violation, and that's where you hear about decibel limits and mm -hmm. machinery measuring. However, that is not what usually catches most of our students. You mm -hmm. rarely will see an officer or anybody with a piece of equipment measuring mm -hmm. a noise violation, and that's because the, the ordinances also allow for other ways to determine if something mm -hmm. is a noise violation. And uh, in Raleigh, you either have to have two witnesses, they have to be in separate households, or you can have one witness and the police officer that can hear the noise. Most of the officers will indicate that if they can hear it from the driveway, then they would consider that to be too loud. And so they have a choice to either issue the, the violation or they could give a warning. It, it just depends. Some of the punishments are some of the things that can result from a noise violation. Any ordinance violation is actually a misdemeanor, and most of our students don't know that. So you can be criminally cited, and that would allow up to 30 days in jail and up to a $500 fine. Uh, so that's one option. And, and the officers have a lot of discretion as, as to how, you know, how extensive they're, they're going to uh, issue citations or, or punishment. The other thing they do, which, which we see quite a bit, is they will do civil, uh, civil fines. If it is the first time that the officer has been out uh, to that residence in the past 12 months, uh, it's a $100 fine. If they have to come out any subsequent times, each violation is then $300 each time. Normally they will give it to the people on the lease, the tenants. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it will be the occupants, because we do have some students that sign a lease and then have roommates that mm -hmm. didn't, and so they, they also can uh, get fined or criminally cited. And then under the nuisance, violation, which I'll talk about in a second, mm -hmm. the actual landlord could be cited for that. So there are civil penalties, there can be criminal penalties, there could be both. They don't mm -hmm. have to choose one or the other. But the other repercussion from that, and this is what we warn clients about, any criminal violation is usually a violation of your lease. In mm -hmm. most of the leases, it's going to indicate that that gives the uh, landlord the right to evict. And so if they evict, you're still responsible for the rent until they find somebody to lease. So you could not only you know, lose your housing, but you may end up still having to pay there. 
Also, if the landlord loses their ability to rent, then, in other words, if there's enough violations and they're not issued their uh, license to be able to rent, then the students could be held liable for that. Uh, so if there's multiple violations, that's really going to be a serious problem for the mm -hmm. landlord and then the, then the student. Coupled with that, I'll go ahead and mention, since I mentioned it a minute ago, the nuisance violation. Uh, that is a city ordinance. It was actually enacted in direct response to students' parties, specifically on Brent Road. And it actually just says, if you disturb the repose of your neighbor, you can be issued with a nuisance party violation. And you can be issued that party violation even if you just attend. That it extends beyond just tenants and occupants, it goes to landlords, it can go to someone that attends, mm -hmm. and you don't need to argue noise. It can just be disturbing, and it can only take one person. When we were talking about noise, it took two people or a neighbor and the police. In this case, it can be just one person. Specifically, what the uh, police are looking for, they're basically looking for illegal act. In other words, normally they just don't come up and say, oh, you're disturbing your neighbors. They're going to look to see, is there, are you affecting traffic because mm -hmm. so many people are there? Is there illegal parking going on? Is there trash? Is there urination in public? Are there fights? Are there too many people? Mm -hmm. Is there underage drinking? Is there somebody selling alcohol? So, that, so they're looking for uh, some other type of illegal activity. Even though all those things on their own are, you know, you're able to be cited for, um, they now can use that just to shut down a party. And so again, it's a misdemeanor, just like with the noise, and so you could run into problems with your landlord. Same punishments, you can have the civil fines that I talked about earlier, you can have criminal citations, it could be problems with your lease. And the other thing, besides being a possible problem with your lease, since a lot of the units that students live in might be individually owned townhomes mm -hmm. and be in those kind of communities, all of those have homeowners associations and they have their own set of fines. So you could be almost triple fined for something like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could, it could get quite expensive. So when we're dealing with parties that are off campus, we run into the noise and, and the nuisance problems quite a bit. This is an NC State specific question, but what happens to students who have like dorm parties and then there are underage drinkers in their dorms? Okay. You have uh, an alcohol policy on mm -hmm. campus, which basically mirrors the North Carolina general statute. So it, it actually says you have to follow all the laws of the state dealing so you have to be mm -hmm. 21 or above you know all, all the typical kind of things however because you're on property that belongs to the university you are also under the code of conduct and any other rules and regulations the chancellor might put into effect for special occasions mm -hmm. and things like that like athletics but if you're dealing with housing the rules are both with the code of conduct and housing you obviously have to be 21 uh, under the housing rules you cannot be in a room with someone underage and someone that's it's their room and they're mm -hmm. underage and you're 21. So if you're 21, even though it is legal for you to have alcohol, you cannot possess or use that or drink that alcohol mm -hmm. in the room of someone that's underage. So you have a problem immediately if you have a roommate that's a different age. If you're yeah. both 21, you're fine. You mm -hmm. can have the alcohol also as long as you're in a designated dorm that allows it. Mm -hmm. So 
you have if you look on the housing website there's I think I counted up at least nine of mm -hmm. the residence halls that allow you to have alcohol but the mm -hmm. rest are alcohol free so I don't care if you're 25 or 50 you mm -hmm. still can't have alcohol in them you cannot have alcohol uh, you can't consume alcohol on the breezeways on the sidewalks and the stairwells and the elevators so even if you can have it in your room you can't do it you know outside mm -hmm. of that so pretty much we have several alcohol-free residence halls. You can't really have it or consume it in public. Um, and then you have to be the correct age. Mm -hmm. And you have to be in a room with all the roommates or all the tenants that are 21. With the campus violations, uh, you're under the code of conduct. So you, will be pro you can be processed through that office. Um, punishments can vary, usually for first offense alcohol. Um, there's not usually evictions from residence halls, there's not mm -hmm. suspension, there's not expulsion. Normally parents aren't notified the first time. It is in the code of conduct, however, second offense or more serious first offenses, mm -hmm. i.e. like alcohol poisoning. Yeah. If you had to get transported to the hospitals, good possibility your parents are going to be called. So your parents could find out for that. Um, they usually will um, request or require that you do an on campus alcohol class, a reflection paper, mm -hmm. there's, there's a bunch of things that you may have to do, but um, you can have code of conduct violations and also criminal violations. Just like I mentioned off campus, you could have the civil fines mm -hmm. as well as the criminal. On campus, you can have code of conduct violations as well as criminal violations. Code of conduct violations stay on your record with that code of conduct office. If it's non-academic, it normally does not go on your transcript. It only goes on your transcript if it's usually a suspension or expulsion, which is not for your normal first offense. Um, and that record stays with that office for eight years. Mm -hmm. And so it can be disclosed if the student gives written permission for it to be disclosed, which you do when you fill out applications for graduate school. Mm -hmm or law school or anything else. Mm -hmm. but anything like post-secondary school? Usually, yes. Okay. Most jobs don't ask, did you get in trouble for social or, or mm -hmm. academic violations on campus? So how should you react if the cops knock on your front door and um, do they have the right to enter your house? Once there's a knock on the door, either one in a private apartment or the, the apartment on campus, uh, what we would normally tell students to do, there's a knock on the door, um, first of all, have someone go to the door that lives there. I wouldn't have the guest go yeah. because they really don't have permission to allow a search or not a search. What we would tell the student to do is to make absolutely sure they open the door just enough to get through, close it behind them and speak to them out on the front porch or you know out, outside the room. It, in that way, there's not any plain view problems because if the mm -hmm. officers see you know, a bong or pipes yeah. or, you know, and that's for drugs, but, you know, even if they see alcohol around and they see underage people, that may change the game. No, they don't have a right just to enter. Now, if you're having a public party, nobody's watching the door, everything's mm -hmm. free flow, people are coming and going off the street, that might be a different matter. That's another mm -hmm. reason to think about having somebody at the front. If they see somebody committing a crime, People are beating each other up and then they run into the house. Those are exigent circumstances and then the officers possibly could go in to go after that immediate crime that's mm -hmm. taking place. They can go get a warrant, which means everybody has to sit down 
or come outside, they can order you outside while they go get the warrant if you refuse to do a voluntary search, or they can do a voluntary search. But no, the police can't just come in. There's only on certain narrow circumstances that they would be able to, um, to go in. But quite truthfully, most of our students get voluntary consent to search. So, you know, that, that later, you know, prevents you usually from being able to bring that up as a technicality mm -hmm. for whatever they may find from the search. But normally we would tell you um, that you would just go outside and try to have your conversation. It is never a good idea. I, I, bad things happen when the police knock on the door and no one comes. Now, they, they can't break down the door, again, mm -hmm. unless they know a crime, a serious crime's going on. But short of that, what they'll usually do is they'll uh, stake out the house and then they come back later and what they may do, especially if there was illegal activity going on outside mm -hmm. or there were complaints, they may then, on another day, come and then uh, give citations to everybody that's on the lease. So that becomes very interesting. So it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to, to ignore the knock, but they can't come in unless you, you know, one of those reasons that I mentioned earlier. So if you are ticketed, how does that process work and can you dispute it? So if you're um, given a citation, which is a criminal citation, do not try to argue at that point with the officer. Once the process is ongoing, once they have decided to cite you, they've asked for your license or identification, and they ask you to sit down while they go ahead and fill out the citation or, or whatever they're going to do, you can't dispute it at that point. You're probably mm -hmm. going to get disorderly conduct or resisting arrest mm -hmm. if you try to argue. Even if you don't think they're right, that is not the time or the place to do that. Mm -hmm. You still have to go along with the process even if you don't agree with it. And even if they are eventually found to be wrong, mm -hmm. you can still be charged and be found guilty of resisting even though it was a wrong charge to begin with. My name is Pam Drace and I'm the Director of Student Legal Services. When I'm not providing legal services to the students, I'm listening to WKNC. 88.1. I had a party last weekend. You may not have heard about it because I kept it pretty low-key. It was so much fun. And the best part? Zero police presence. If you have any pressing legal concerns, please contact a lawyer. But if you're just curious about how the law works and want to know more about a specific issue, email topic suggestions to podcast at wknc.org. You can listen to legal work on soundcloud.com slash WKNC881. Subscribe on iTunes and never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.